Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What would you ask yourself if you were me? What on earth were you thinking? I like that. What on earth were you thinking? I wasn't thinking. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> Vague, out of context. Like, what's going on? There's a lot of tension, drama, action. Yeah. Crime, suspense, all the things. Welcome to Pod Friends. I'm Matt Scott, your host. That was Will from America performing the Pod Friends theme song. And today I'm here, as always, to have conversations with people in this Rob as a Podcast network community, talking with people who make podcasts like this one a reality, talking with people who make this whole entire network of podcasts a reality. And today I'm thrilled for the conversation that I had with Sarah Carradine, who's this week's guest. And Sarah and I are pod-in-laws or podcasters-in-law, so to speak, in the sense that I 
co-host the wrestling wrap up with the one and only Mari Forth talking about pro wrestling and Mari co-hosts the podcast crime scene which talks about um, true crime media with Sarah Carradine and so Sarah and I talked a little bit about Mari but we mostly talked about Sarah's incredible backstory which is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about pod friends in these conversations because while so often we talk about the shows that we love and the media that we consume, the reality is that there's so much more to the people in this community that we don't talk about or see or hear. And so we know that Sarah is a podcaster. She's a co-host of a podcast. She's also a writer, a director, an editor. She's produced Romeo and Juliet, and she's produced a number of theater performances all over the world, London, Edinburgh, New York, Boston, so on and so forth, even in Australia, where she lives. And we talked about a lot in the conversation, which I'm excited for you, for you to hear. But more than anything, I think when having the conversation with Sarah, I really felt like I was learning a lot and picking up a lot just on her perspective in life as someone who outside of podcasting, again, is a writer for performance art and a creative nonfiction writer, a director, um, someone who appreciates ocean swimming and swim coaching and all the above. You know, it, it was cool to see the ways that Sarah's mind works as a creator and to connect the dots to hopefully some helpful lessons for all of you. And, you know, Sarah is someone who I hope that folks on this network are only just beginning to hear from because there is so much more she has to share and draw from. And this was a really meaningful conversation, which touched on a lot, including um, the reason why she always um, does these land acknowledgements or acknowledgements of country as they're called in Australia, which recognize the indigenous or aboriginal communities whose land it belonged to before um, today's day and age. We talk about um, just so many different topics through Sarah's experiences in life. And um, this was really a unique one. And so I hope that you're tuned in. I hope to hear from you about what you think. If you want to let me know what you're thinking and who you want to see on Pod Friends and uh, anything else, you could tweet me at Hey Pod Friends or at Matt Scott GW to let me know. It's always great to hear who's on the other end. Always great to hear what you're thinking. So speaking of which, I actually just want to give a couple of shout outs to folks who have left reviews. And they're also kind. I want to give a disclaimer. I'm not reading this to just pump myself up, but more than anything else to shout out the folks who are listening and supporting and to encourage folks to go to robhiswebsite.com slash podfriendsfeed in order to subscribe to the podcast, but also to... Um, please give those five stars and leave a review with what you're thinking and how this resonates with you. That's really the most meaningful part of Pod Friends for me. Um, and speaking of which, here is a review, the most recent one from Mandy, who writes, and I'll, I'll read this just because I appreciate it so much, Mandy. Matt Scott is a treasure. Protect him at all costs. Thanks, Matt, for always providing such insightful and entertaining conversations with RHP podcasters. It's so great to get to know the people behind the voices, most commonly in my ear, including Matt. Don't stop until we've heard from all the podcasters. Then keep it going with life updates when there's no one left. Yes, that's how I feel. I want to hear from all of the podcasters. I have a long, long list of interviewees, and 
hopefully we'll have the time, the energy, uh, the mic, the whatever else it takes to record these interviews to keep going for a long, long while to talk with everybody and maybe talk with some folks again. Um, Jill Fitz writes, beautiful conversations. I was choked up listening to the conversation between Matt and T-Bird. Beautiful conversations every time. Thank you so much for that. And one more I'll read. Pelican Pablo writes, great podcast, great host. As a longtime RHIP fan, I love this series, getting to know my friends in my head. Matt's a great interviewer, and I can't wait to listen to every episode, every season. That is, you are all too kind, and I appreciate you. And again, as I try to convey each episode, um, I just want to send a lot of love to all of you who are on this journey with me. Not even talking about the shows, just about the people who are in this thing and um i'm just so grateful for all of you and again leave a review and i might read it on the podcast i will definitely read it and um maybe even uh maybe even get a little choked up reading some of these because you all are um, way too sweet uh to me so thanks a lot everyone and um just as some final reminders you could watch on youtube rob his website.com slash youtube you could suggest a guest at bit.ly slash pod and it is the start of the month great time to become a rob has a podcast patron which you could do at rob has a website.com slash patreon which is phenomenal because it is big brother season if you're a fan of big brother there is exclusive content there for you to tune in and hear from podcasters, hear from Rob Sesternino, the Rob of Rob has a podcast, and to join a community where you get to know people and bond with patrons. I recently just watched a patron Brent Steele where patrons were simulating a game of Big Brother, and uh, that was really fun. And so, so many opportunities to make new friends, connect with people, and so much more. Um, again, com slash Patreon. And I will follow up with more plugs after the interview with Sarah, but just want to thank you all for being on this pod fringe journey with me and for following along each and every step of the way. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Sarah Carradine. Making her way to the podcast, hailing from Sydney, New South Wales, Australia, unseated Gadigal Land, she is the co-host of Crime Scene, reviewing true crime media on RHAP with the one and only Mari Forth, robbeswebsite.com slash crime feed, as well as a theater virtuoso, a connoisseur of the performing arts, a writer, director, editor of audio, visual, and textual platforms. Please welcome the Barb of RHAP, and I'm talking Shakespeare, not Nicki Minaj. Please welcome Sarah Carradine. I had this thought and this realization when you were on the Wrestling Rehap Up back in October of 2021. Because every time I do my little podcast intro and I, you know, I search, I'm like, what should I say about people? And I just searched your name and I found so much. There was like, there were, there were so many things. There was, I, I just listened back to like the intro that I gave you. And I mentioned that you are a patron, a podcaster, a writer, a director, an editor of audio. I said audio textual and visual formats. Oh, um, and oh, yes, the latest. Um, and so there's so much there, and I'm excited to be able to dive into it. But we'll I have a question there. for you. Yeah. Why sure. did you invite me on the wrestling rehab up? I was, was like, I that was one of my favorite things still that I've ever done 
on oh the network. Gosh. But yeah. why? What? Why? Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say inside inside baseball for people, Mari mm-hmm. does all of the booking for the wrestling wrap up. She does all of the hard work. But we invited you because our thing with the wrestling wrap up, especially as we started, was let's have as many different RHAP podcasters and class of twenty twenty members and just pull them in and have them on because for a lot of us, like we were, you know, just a year, a year and a half into being on RHAP and there were so many, so many of us, but also so few podcasts in comparison to all of us. So it's like, let's bring people on, let's get to know them, and let's also like give our little wrestling wrap up audience a chance to get to know them. And you know, since we're talking about that, you kind of blew my mind on that episode, which I don't know if you realize how mind blowing it was. Um you are not a wrestling fan or you were not you were not a wrestling fan before the episode. Do you consider yourself a wrestling fan now? No, but when <laughs> wrestling Twitter floats down my timeline, I kind of have an idea of what's going on. Because of Mari. Uh, because obviously of Mari. you're your yeah. co-host on Crime Scene. So yes. you there there was so much that you got into and the way that you talk about wrestling uh, was sort of mind blowing for me because it was really theatrical in many ways. And I don't think that a lot of people appreciate wrestling and the art of it. From your perspective, I'm going to put you on the spot, Sarah, as a non-wrestling fan who has wrestling uh, permeate your life and who also is possibly part of the longest wrestling wrap-up episode at three and a half hours. Um, what, <laughs> we what had a lot to say. <laughs> we did have a lot to say back then. We, uh, we've gotten older over time, mostly me. Uh, Mari stays young, but I've gotten older and, um, you know, we have to do a little bit less. We try to stick to like two hours now. But I want to ask for you, you know, um, what like what is it about wrestling that is so that resonates with you? I, I know that it doesn't resonate with you that much, but I want to ask because you spoke about it in such an artful way. It kind of uh, it, it it kind of shocked me a little bit. Actually, I wasn't used to people talking about like the theatrical element and then the stage that is the wrestling ring and so on and so forth. and then the lighting, all of it. Uh, but yeah, what is it for you that that stuck out about the weird, wild, whimsical world of professional wrestling when you were on with us? Well, I'd never been anti-wrestling. I'd never like <laughs> actively avoided it or anything like that. I was I was aware of wrestling. Who is it? Sure. And I was so charmed to be invited onto the podcast. Charmed and, and, and confused. Mm. Uh, and then you and Murray sent me clips, which I watched, and I watched them like I would any film or play or or piece of art because that's the way my eyes and my brain work that's how I sort of receive media but also the world to a certain extent so I I I approach things with positivity like if I'm in a theater and the lights go down and it's dark there's that moment of this could be the most extraordinary thing that I have ever seen in my life And despite having seen lots and lots and lots of rubbish, lots of ill-conceived stuff, lots of stuff that isn't good enough, and sometimes paid a lot of money for the privilege, it doesn't matter how many times I sit and the lights go down or it could be the cinema or I could push play on Netflix or whatever it might be, 
I think it could be this extraordinary thing. And just this week, we're recording on my 30th of June, the mm. end of the financial year here in mm-hmm. Australia. Uh, I recently saw two shows. Uh, one uh, was like, uh, 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 not amateur, what's the word? Uh, I don't know if you have this, but we call it profit share. It's like a cooperative of of artists that come together and there's no funding and they share mm-hmm. the the proceeds and these can be very ill-conceived or they can be wonderful it was one of the best things i've ever seen uh the the script was wonderful and the production was like even if you did a professional production you're not going to change that much the set and the costumes and everything that was very moving and wonderful and i cried which is nice uh and the other was a brisbane company called circa not going to mean anything except to our australian listeners who are kind of a combo circus burlesque a group of young people tumbling around and standing on each other and doing extraordinary things. So some people I was with who were, you know, theatre people, they were saying, well, it's fine, but where's the narrative? (laughs) Narrative. The narrative is these incredible people uh, doing this wonderful performance, engaging with us. Like every time they'd do something particularly spectacular, they'd look at us and give us a little cheeky, yeah, did that. Uh, and they have the same four limbs and body as we do, but this is what they choose to do with it. And it was to me, it was beauty and poetry and humor and and all of that. So I think um, what you what somebody demands from a show, I am getting to the point. What someone demands <laughs> from a show is 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 different depending on your background. And some people are very, yeah. I am theater. Where is the narrative? Mm-hmm. But the thing about wrestling is you want a narrative. There are narratives aplenty. I mean, mm-hmm. this is uh, raw human emotion. I might have said, I can't remember what I said on the wrestling uh, rehab, but to me, the emotion, the connection, the story and the art were all very elevated. And then you add to that this incredible physical facility that they have. I mean, are they athletes? Are they dancers? Are they acrobats? They're all those things. And then the thoughtfulness of the costuming and how the relationship between right. people is expressed in colour and, and all of that sort of stuff. So I, as I say, I hadn't been anti-wrestling, but I hadn't ever sat and put my mind and my and my eyes and my heart onto watching people wrestling, as you and Mary asked me to do. And when I did, it was just completely delightful. I just loved it. Yeah, I think it's so fascinating to me. And one reason I ask you about wrestling is not to turn this into a wrestling podcast. This is not the wrestling wrap up. Um, but, you know, I, I ask because I think that, you know, this community is really lucky to have so many different perspectives. But one of them being yours, absolutely. Just bringing that, bringing that lens of, of um, performance, of, the arts of so many different uh, things um, within this. And so I don't want to bury the lead with this. Could you, could you kind of like sum up what your background is when it comes to all of the, I'll say the performing arts maybe as the umbrella, Um, because that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't know about you. And, you know, I, I got a sense of it going into the wrestling rehab, but I don't think I've heard you on a podcast talk about these things extensively. Well, 
you you did ask me off pod like what's something that people would be surprised to hear uh and i and i put something but what i really wanted to put was you know i don't like talking about myself uh you so you're, you're sort of wonder this why i'm forced. on no, yes. no you wonder why i'm on pod friends well well uh, um, matt and i are, are pods in law because we share yes. co-hosting the incredible uh mari fourth yes um you see how I just like turned away from you. You went question. to Mari rather yeah, than was, talking about yourself. And when I that, stopped after saying her name, I was thinking, now what's the next thing I'm going to say about Mari? And then I thought, <laughs> no, no, man, ask me about myself. Um, I, I want to say, by the way, uh, uh, before you dive into that, I think that it's, um, it's interesting because a lot of us talk so much on podcasts that people might just assume that we love to talk about all of ourselves all the time, which could be an incredibly vulnerable thing to do. And so I appreciate you acknowledging that it's not always natural to just talk about yourself. But the good news is you are trapped in this recording right now. There's no way you could leave. You're trapped in the pod friends box. Maybe some people are watching on YouTube. Beautiful mime, um, mime impression. Fresh. I don't. I'm now. I'm like just voguing at this point. But um, yes, how do you sum yourself up? Like, what's if if I asked you, like, how do you introduce yourself, or how do you sum up those like the things that um, kind of are more fitting for a bio? What would that be? Well, there's the short answer, and then there's the long answer. So the short answer would be, I would introduce myself with whatever I'm doing currently. Mm-hmm. So I. Now say, uh, hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a podcaster. I podcast about pop culture. Uh, And that's only recent. Uh, So even after being accepted into the class of 2020, one of the most brilliant moments of my life. Uh, And I'm sure some listeners know, some may not. We recently were all together in uh, New York. Not absolutely everybody. But uh, there is a photo. A photo exists of some of the class of 2020, and I was like, oh, yeah, here we all are. Uh, and that was, a, that was a very interesting process because I really wanted to apply, but I thought, but I don't, I don't fit what, what uh, Rob, uh, the head of the network, is looking for. Um, there's a certain diversity that he is uh, wanting, and great that he did ask for that. So I looked at the form a couple of times and I thought, oh, I just, I just don't fit. And then. At the last minute, I filled it in. And I heard somebody else tell you that at the last minute they filled it in. Oh, um, I think that might have been me. Maybe. Ah, okay, you when you were talking <laughs> to Beth. Yeah, it was you when you were talking to Beth. And because there was a little slot to write, you know, what is your diversity? So I loved how oh. overt that was. So I just wrote um, age. Uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> Being humble a little bit, but... Well, I, I mean, you know... What I had found was often listening. So I don't. Here's a secret, everybody. You don't go around thinking about how old you are. Now, you younger people probably don't either. It's just that you don't realize that you don't. Uh, but when you're older, you really realize that you don't think about how old you are until mm. something comes up. And the things that were coming up for me listening to, you know, across a lot of uh, podcasts on RHAP, is things that are in my pop culture, not just memory, but I actually right. lived through them, I have a lot of access to. So when I would hear uh, people, you know, fumbling for a reference or, or uh, getting things slightly wrong, not being like 
a punisher to say, oh, they got it wrong. But that idea of had I been on that podcast, I could have told you immediately what that was. Right. So when I wrote that my diversity was age, it was slightly a joke, but it was also what I felt was one of the things that I could bring uh, to, to the network and what I could bring to podcasting. Because it's not just the accumulated knowledge of, you know, the 75 years that I've been on earth, but also... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but also it's not just that was like, a joke that was a yeah, joke that was a joke that was a yeah. joke. Uh, <laughs> and the smooth one that i almost didn't catch for a second like, like, like the wink and the thumb up um, yes <laughs> not just <laughs> like what what just not not just knowledge but also yeah. um you know i'm very pleased to be invited i'm very lucky and honored to be invited onto the married at first sight podcast and mm the comment that I get both from the uh, hosts there, uh, Jason and Asia, but also from the listeners is, oh, you know, you're so, they don't quite say wise, but that's what they mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, here, but here's the thing, it just is having been around for a while and having thought if you think about things, you have time, you've had time to think about things, you've had time to experience things yourself, you've had time to see friends and other people in certain circumstances, and you've had time to to form thoughts. If that's all that wisdom is, then yes, then yes, I'm wise. So I feel like I definitely thought I can bring, you know, the pop culture references of a longer period of time to the to the network. Um, but also now I realize that I do, you know, I have had thoughts and I still get things wrong, but I I really like being schooled, especially mm. live on podcasts, you know, uh, for my Unthinkingness. Uh, I like the way that um, that the, the group of people that podcasts on this network think. I yeah. like the way that we ask each other to think, and then ask the the audience to think as well. And we don't all agree on every everything. We're not a mob. Everybody, right. we don't agree on everything. So I would now, coming back to your question, introduce yeah. myself as a podcaster. Mm-hmm. But prior to, even after I was accepted into the class of 2020, I would have said I was a swim coach. Oh. And before that, I would have said, but, you know, I've had many jobs. Uh, this is not new to people, you know, working now, but it's unusual for people of my generation. Uh, we were sort of the last to get a job and stay in it or, or see a career right. as a ladder. Uh, and I know that thought is still there. but. Your career, your working life is not a ladder, I'm here to tell you, and mine certainly has never been a ladder. Uh, And I appreciate that about myself and I appreciate that about my young self who kind of saved my own life and escaped um, uh, at a young age, left home at 17. And I said this on another podcast, I see 17-year-olds now go, oh, my God, that's so young. Like not young because I'm old, but yeah, but that, that I was 17 and I was yeah. entirely, entirely responsible for myself. Mm-hmm. I've been working since I was 15, mm-hmm. uh, which I just say as a fact, um, and I'm, I'm glad to, to, to have it. But, oh, my God, I've been working for a very long time, everybody. <laughs> you know. uh, so, so I have a there's like, there's so many career. twists and turns first sure. of all and I'm like hmm. hmm but like yeah what kind of I, I actually want to kind of pause you for a second because I don't want to miss this so what was what was what was what did you begin doing when you were 15 
I'm, I'm on the journey with you. Uh, so when I was 15, I got a job in a very large uh, stationery bookshop. And I, one of the things that I remember about that job was I typed a letter of application and put it in an envelope and put a stamp on it and posted it. And they typed a letter back to me saying, yes, you start on this day. Mm-hmm. Having never seen each other, spoken on the phone, nothing like that. Uh, so I turned up to work and we had a Bundy clock. I don't know if people know what a Bundy clock is. I think yeah. if you've ever watched the Flintstones, uh, if you've ever watched any of those shows set in the past, uh, <laughs> You go along, there's a series of cards, there's a card with your name on it, you pull that out and you stick it into a slot and mm-hmm. it goes clunk mm-hmm. and it says what time you, it's a sign-on. Like a, time, like a time card or time it's sheet. It's a time machine. card. Right. It's a time machine. We're in oh, a time, time machine, machine now. Time, I'm taking it back. Oh I love that. It's a time machine. <laughs> time and machine, yes. If, so start time was 9 o'clock. And the, all the time prior to 9 o'clock was in black. So mm-hmm. 8.50 would be in black. But if you bundied on at 9, it would be red. So any time mm-hmm. after 9 would be red, I suppose, so the person who was looking to pay you could could see. And I remember there was a gaggle of what I thought of as middle-aged women, but, God, they, they might have been 30 uh, or 40. But um, in those days, 30-year-olds were, like, old Uh Mm. And they had, they were a gang because one of them each day would bundy on and off because you had to bundy off at the end as well right. to, to show that you were still at work at the time you should have been at work. Mm-hmm. So they would have nominated a day each to take all their cards and bundy on and bundy off so that the rest of them could swan in uh, late and swan out early. And I thought, wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> Sticking it to the man. Um, so that yeah. was my, my first job. And then I was uh, out on my own. I wanted to, you know, put a, a stick with a knotted handkerchief on the end of it with all my belongings over my shoulder and work in the theatre um, mm-hmm. because I had fallen amongst theatre folk uh, in my mid-teens and I I knew they were my family. I thought, oh, I didn't think I belonged anywhere. You know, yeah. this is where I belong. And I met someone who I don't know if I knew what gay was and certainly queer in those days was a slur. Yeah. But I met a young man who was, I think about him now, wow, he was uh, overtly gay, let's say, whatever that means. Right. Flamboyant, I suppose yeah. we used to say in those days. And even though I didn't really know what gay was, what queer was, what any of that stuff was, I knew he was gay. Like I don't know how I you know, I had television shows that talk, that showed me what gay men were, which was incredibly flamboyant mm-hmm. and, ooh, ducky and all of this sort of thing, <laughs> always alone, never, you know, centred, never with right. um, partners, never serious. <clears throat> um, so perhaps television had taught me to recognise him and I just adored yeah. him, absolutely adored him and thought he was incredible. Uh, he was in the theatre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found the theatre and I found theatre people and I found my people. And so that was really the beginning. So I feel like I was maybe an egg for 16 and a half years. Yeah. And then I, and then I, uh, I was in a stasis chamber. 
I I do remember from from quite a young age. I don't have a lot of memories of my childhood for reasons, but one of the things I do remember from about 10 on was calculating how soon I could leave my home. And so in a way it was sort of, and I was very good. You know, I, I tried to fly under every radar possible because I knew that I was escaping. It was like, <laughs> I do love, I love heist movies and I do love prison escape movies. And there's that thing of the patience with which you have to, you know, husband your resources. So, you know, you can't stick your head above the parapet. You have to wait uh, and give no indication of your plans. And then when you're ready to go, you go. And mm-hmm. um, you do leave surprise and, and some devastation behind. And for that, I, I wish it had been other. But there isn't another way that I could have gotten out, I suppose. So, yeah. so it was if I was if I was in stasis, and then I broke open. So maybe that's why I'm so youthful because you can minus sixteen and a half years from my age. Yeah. And I, I think that this it's really powerful that you share that. Even just and and a lot of people I know can relate to that idea of breaking out of wherever they're coming from. And I, I know that um, not only because through pod friends, I've, I've heard from listeners who can relate to people who have some of those elements to their story, but also because for a lot of people, this community and these shows and the media that we love and we cover and that we talk about together as, um, as podcasters and listeners in the community, it can be an escape for people. Um, and, you know, one thing I'm kind of curious about in all of that is like, I mean, you, you kind of have the path that you had, but like looking back at it, is there any, this is very much like a, a RuPaul's drag race question. Just picture me holding up a picture of you as a child. Um, like, is there advice or that? <laughs> is there wisdom back to, to what you were saying <laughs> earlier about wisdom? But is there wisdom that you'd have for your younger self at that time where things were, you know, more? Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, not yeah. as great and more challenging. Look, it's it's uh, you know, you you are, are born where you're born and into the circumstances that you're born into. If, if you are born. Uh, and I think the advice, I, I can't really give her advice because she did the right thing, which is just hold on, it will get better. I was very moved with the, the slogan, you know, it gets better, because yeah. I think that's something uh, certainly yeah. friends of mine didn't heed in those days, uh, that everything everything passes. Uh, everything passes. I'm um, I'm of the belief that we just go back where we came from when we die. We go back where we came from. If you think about <clears throat> where you were before you were conceived, that's that's where we go. And to me, that's not frightening. To me, that's mm. elevating because I think that means this is it. Where we are now is it. So let us work together and uplift each other and help each other and love each other. Uh, but I'm also quite uh, practical about yeah. how things are, and I think that combination has kind of got me through. Uh, what advice would I? What would I say? I said, look, you've, you've got it. You, you saved yourself. Well done. I really, I, like, I really admire that. <laughs> like, yeah. Where did that? Where did that kind of boldness come from? It's extraordinary. Um, so 
uh, yeah, just just you do you. Um, and one of the best things I do remember too, one of the best things that happened to me uh, in my late teens, early 20s, because I didn't know anything. I mean, I didn't know anything. Uh, and I was working in a theatre. I was working as a stage manager and um, and I found my people, as I say. And, you know, the, it was the afterwards I loved, the drinks afterwards as people sat around and, mm-hmm. and, and talked and um, and people would mention things like they might mention, I don't know, for example, they might mention Kafka. And I think, oh, yeah. no idea who that is. But I would wait for somebody else to ask and then I would sort of have a sort of, oh, that you don't know, <laughs> while I listened very eagerly to find out. Or I would say that I'd seen films that I hadn't seen and stuff like that. I wanted so much to belong because I recognised them, my yeah. family, my theatre family, my queer family, as we say now. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know if they recognised me. And then I remember distinctly at some point saying that I didn't know something mm-hmm. and the conversation just moved on as if nothing had happened, but it was an absolute earthquake for me that I didn't have to know everything. I didn't have to be right. I didn't have to be good. I didn't have to be, you know, all the things. I mean, you can escape your home there where you have been growing up, but yeah. <laughs> escaping the, um, the, tyranny of of the expectations and the the training and upbringing that you've been given is is harder so it for me to you. yeah absolutely you. absolutely yeah. uh and so that was one of the the things that i that i remember really clearly and that's in a way like i don't think about it every day but it it it's informed how i moved through the world you know with curiosity and with pleasure uh, at meeting other people and with not knowing i think i love not knowing and i love being told and i love finding out so now and going back to my application for class of 2020 mm-hmm. it takes a lot for me to go i actually know about this stuff <laughs> like yeah. i'm so used to being the one that doesn't know and the one that asks and the one who's curious and the one who finds out that it's really nice now to go well i actually know about this like i i know about this and this is this is part of my knowledge and i don't have to tell you if you don't want to hear it but if you would do want to hear it then i'll then i'll then i'll tell you because i i i believe in generosity and part of generosity is uh you know sharing your knowledge or sharing your experience or just sharing your presence you don't have to advise people if they don't want it you can just sit with them anyway swirling there are a few swirling thoughts there it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because part of what I'm hearing from you, and it maybe overall, is that theater was this, um, you know, and again, I always, uh, it, what it sounds like to me is that theater was a bit of an escape in a, in a way from from kind of what you were navigating, but also built these beautiful things in you that kind of help you navigate the world to this day. So it wasn't only, you know, a thing that would separate you from trauma and struggle, but also build you into like the beautiful person that you are today and that you continue to grow into. (laughs) And so I, I am curious though, like thinking of what theater has meant for you overall, like, are there things that you've been most proud of in your career and you know i only know a little bit about what i've what i've seen in bios and the like but i know about the dirty underground cabaret mm-hmm. i know about romeo and juliet mm-hmm. i know about london and, and edinburgh and new york and boston and all the places you've traveled doing this but like are there things that you're most proud of i want you to brag on yourself um you know in you know a little bit and i'm also curious just because um it has been this beautiful, um, I don't know if the word's generative, but it's been this thing that's, that's blossomed into, you know, um, a life for you. Right. And so I'm curious what, what jumps out as, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look back and be really proud of, on, about those things. Well, I mean, it's curious that I'm doing pod friends because I don't tend to look back very much. I sometimes mm-hmm. feel like I'm just starting. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just starting this strange thing. Like we're all we're all here. What are we doing? Um, I I think that your resume, if everything is true, and everything on my resume is true, Mm, it really doesn't tell. It really doesn't tell the story of what the things were. I mean, I might start with uh, Romeo Juliet which yeah. is a, an opera by a Frenchman called Charles Gounod. Not the style of opera that, that I particularly go to. It's a very lush, overblown French opera of the very late um, 19th century. It was written in 1899. And I did this as a production for Opera Australia. So if any of you listeners know the shells of the Sydney Opera House, I used to work there. Uh, I worked there a lot, um, mm-hmm. and there's a thing where you approach that building. Well, I do. 
And the sails look different in different lights, uh, depending on if it's sunny or rainy or cloudy or what time of day it is. I mean, it is an ex- beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah, on iconic. the outside, it's iconic. And so on you the walk outside. towards it and you go, oh my God, I work there. And then you go inside and you go, oh yeah, that's right, I work in here. <laughs> um, because. As we say, Australia yeah. has the perfect opera house. The outsides in Sydney, the insides in Melbourne, and the parkings in Adelaide. Um, mm. And that's true because I've worked in all those houses, and I've worked it, uh, in um, Brisbane and, and Perth as well. So I've worked in all the, the houses in um, Australia, and they all have their charms. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Sydney Opera House opera stage is a very, very tricky stage to work on because. Um, the architect uh, designed a, a bigger stage for the opera and a slightly smaller stage for the orchestra. And at the time, because of politics, the orchestra was more powerful than the opera, so they swapped over. So the opera stage has no wings. Uh, if you work in the theatre, you know yeah. what that is. If you don't, it's the bit to the side that the audience can't see where an, a performer might wait or a big piece of stage machinery might be uh, mm-hmm. hidden from hidden from the audience. Uh, and so it does make it very tricky. Anyway, Romeo and Juliet, we all know the story. It's beautiful, lush, overblown French operatic. Um, and I did find myself in a rehearsal room with nearly 100 people and in charge of everybody. I'm very proud of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like to let everybody in a rehearsal room contribute. Uh, But when you have a chorus of 50 and 10 principals and 12 actors and music staff, and you actually have to be a bit more like you can't do theatre by committee, I suppose. I'm about to Mm -hmm. do a play in in, um, uh, Hobart in Tasmania. It's a new Australian play. Shout out Alison Mann, who's an incredible young uh, writer. I've known her for a number of years and, she brought this play to me. Well, she didn't bring the play to me. She showed me a paragraph. Mm-hmm. She was supposed to be writing something else. She showed me a paragraph. She said, I don't know what this is. I said, well, whatever it is, when you write it, I want to direct it. Um, and so, yeah, so I, was, I went down to shoot some promo shots with the, with, yeah. the, with the cast, and I thought, oh, four people. This is really nice. But I also, modest and moderate though I am, there is something about standing in a room full of, you know, nearly 100 people and, and uh, have them all listen to you because one thing about an opera rehearsal room, it's very quiet. People yes. listen. It's very, very hierarchical. Opera mm-hmm. is very hierarchical. I'm not a huge opera fan, by the way. This may shock mm-hmm. you. Well, uh, but I mean, well, when you mentioned the hierarchy, I'm like, okay, I feel like I can't, I can't, I can't picture you being a super hierarchical person. I'm not, but opera is. Opera is stupid because it costs a huge amount of money. You can't scale it it's like you can't say well there are 10 singing roles but we'll do it with five people you can't do it if it's 10 people it's 10 people if it's a chorus Mm. of 50 it's a chorus of 50 um and it's elitist there's no i don't ever see a an invitation in for for people you know to come to to come to an opera and you are expected to sit at the opera in complete silence, and you are expected to 
know when to clap and know when to cheer and know what the story is. I mean, the introduction of surtitles, which is the English translation of what they're singing going above the stage, mm. is good. I think opera could be incredible, but it's not. Look, opera is incredible. It could be inclusive, but I don't know where the will is, certainly in Australia, to bring people in. Having said that, mm-hmm. there's a company called Pinchgut Opera, uh, and uh, Pinchgut is, is the name of a place when uh, Australia was invaded by Europeans. Uh, Pinchgut is, is a, it was a place where, yeah, you were a bit hungry. So I love that it's Pinchgut Opera. Mm-hmm. And they do Baroque opera in a wonderful, uh, the, the productions are fantastic. The audience is invited in. But still, let's go to a musical. That's what I say. Um, yeah. But it's still, it's not the pinnacle of my career. But it's one of the things I'm really proud of is my production of Romeo and Juliet and uh, the time that I spent making it. The It was in, uh, we did it in Sydney, we did it in Melbourne, Perth and Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I have complicated feelings about opera. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't know that the people who work for and in the opera are looked after as they should be. I think mm-hmm. the respect for artists is not as high as it should be and the emotional safety of the I, – I, uh, I worked as a guest artist for Opera Australia for 20 years. So you think I'm sort of biting the hand that fed me, but um, there was a certain, a certain situation that I couldn't tolerate and it wasn't a treatment of me, it was a treatment of – uh, the uh, people in the company, and I uh, basically said sayonara over that, yeah. giving up a very, very lucrative contract. Um, I don't regret that for a moment, and it just it makes me sad because I think opera could be amazing. I mean, what if mm-hmm. what if you brought children into a rehearsal room and let them touch things and and let them talk to the singers while they're singing? And I, I don't know, yeah. just ask. So I'm going to take you back to when I was about five. Ooh. Here we I'm go. on the journey. I'm on You're the ride. Okay. I feel like, hmm. you know, we're, we bou- we're bouncing around a little bit. I will go sure. back to when you were five. It's the, way my, it's the way my brain works. And I also want to get off bashing opera because I, I haven't really, <laughs> I can't really explain what I mean. But one of the things is, is the elitism and the, and the money of it. And also I've seen how the sausage is made and I've seen how you can pay. Here's a... Here's an inside, really inside opera. You can pay four hundred dollars for a show that was rehearsed for a week, and and the performers mm-hmm. on stage are talking to each other to tell each other where to go because the audience you can't hear them because the orchestra's so loud. Um, and I think you know uh, uh, somebody's paying a huge amount of money to see something that you slap together. I don't, mm. I don't approve. Um, yeah. <clears throat> when I was five, I was taken to a little show. And I don't remember the story of it, but I can tell you there were four performers. There were two men and two women. And there was a little line of footlights. If people don't know what that, are, that is, that's literally on the floor lights right. between the audience and the performers that shine up. They're very, it's sort of an old-fashioned thing, but I absolutely love footlights. They do things for, for, for the lighting. And it must have been a prince and princess sort of story because at the end, the king and the queen were there and the prince and the princess were going to marry each other mm-hmm. because, of course. Uh, and then 
the king and the queen and the prince and the princess said, well, of course, you have to have a dance at a wedding. And they would each like a child to come up and be their partner for the dance. Mm. Well, I was completely thrilled. I was beside myself. I wanted to dance with the prince, but the king chose me. But okay, that's fine. Mm. We literally, I mean, this is like, it's a metaphor come to life. I stepped over the footlights and the man, the older man, I don't know, he would have been, let's say in his 40s, terribly, terribly old to me. And he held both my hands with both of his hands to help me step over the footlights. And I was looking at my feet so I didn't stumble. And I looked up into his face and now instead of a king, I saw an old man or older man with very thick lichner makeup on. This is stage makeup that is out of mm. out of favour now. And sweat running, riv- digging rivulets through this makeup, which is not what he looked like when I'd been out mm-hmm. in the audience. He had been a king. And I looked up and there was this man in makeup. And I said to myself, oh, it's a job. <laughs> Five-year-old you. I, I didn't, didn't realise it was a job, huh. and so that was my that was my sort of awakening to theatre, and that that it was the place for me. I stepped over the footlights onto the stage, and I saw that it was it's just a job. It's a job that people do, and so when we say now, you know, you can't be it if you can't see it. That's largely true. And it was certainly true for me because I saw right. that it was a job. It was something you could aspire to do. And so I did aspire to do it. So when I think about how, you know, you could bring children to the opera, you don't do it by getting them to put on a scratchy, you know, party dress that they don't mm-hmm. want to wear and sit in silence uh, while people, strangely dressed people, bellow in foreign language at them. Um, although there'll be another little person who goes and then that's the same, you know, yeah. revelation that I had. So let me not speak for their experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's fascinating, though, to kind of hear how it, what's kind of led you, the pieces that have led you to that realization and to this thing that you're passionate about. And I think one of my big questions is, is one of the things I'm thinking about that listeners are probably thinking about is how that relates to, you know, what you do within RHAP, because, I mean, the opera and theater are so different than Big Brother uh, with the Big Brother season coming up, for example, or so different than like a lot of the things that we're used to talking about and obsessing over and focusing on. Like, what is it that you that you love or enjoy about like the media that we cover within this podcasting universe and how, like, how does that relate to the other things that you love outside of it in terms of theater? Um, just to, just to start there. Well, first of all, it's not different. It's exactly the same. What's the same exactly about the same. it? Exactly the same. Well, it's the narrative that, uh, that we, that we look for. So, all right. So mm. human beings are pattern seeking animals. Mm-hmm. It's the way our brains work, and it's about our continued, you know, ability to live and avoid predators and not eat the wrong berries and all of that. 
We look for patterns because that is about our survival. Uh, you know, last time I heard that rumbling, a great light was in the sky and a tree caught on fire. So when I hear the rumbling again, I recognize the pattern and I move away from the lightning strike. That's also partly our downfall because, because we, look, we look for patterns, mm. we see meaning where there isn't meaning. Right. Conspiracies uh, come from this. Mm. People say, oh, it was a sign that I should do this or I should not do this right. because of this. Right. Those patterns and our learning from them are why we like theatre and entertainment because we look for we look for meaning and when it's a uh, curated meaning like an opera very satisfying she dies and we cry or it's a comedy so they get married and we're all happy mm-hmm. and the world is right in big brother we yeah. say what's the story whether you think it actually or not the way we talk about uh on this network but also elsewhere we're either thinking i'm glad i'm not that so my that this is a very, i'm being shown a very chaotic house mm. and my house that i live in is not that chaotic going to say chaotic. that is very much no. the uh that i think that sums up most of what i've seen in big brother very chaotic so glad it's not me yeah. uh, or whatever it is right. that you might think but we also want to know like we really deep i think that that human beings are deeply curious i think it gets mm battered out of us uh, in various ways at various times so but one of our curiosities is what makes ourselves and each other tick we are not the only animals who have self-reflection we are not the only animals that recognize ourselves in a mirror there have been various in very interesting studies see that other animals recognize themselves in mirrors and you can tell that because if you put something on their forehead they don't point to the to the mirror they pick the thing off their own head. So we aren't the only ones that self-reflect, but we do self-reflect and we do look outside ourselves for meaning, which is where you get cults from and it's where you get uh, uh, toxic relationships because someone provides us meaning, therefore we no longer have to think. But it's also where a lot of our positive um, aspects come from to say what, why are we here? And as I said before, I mean, I supp- I mean I'm, I'm an atheist and I suppose I'm very slightly a nihilist. Mm-hmm. We're only here. There is no meaning to our life. We are biological creatures. Having said that, I think mm-hmm. because we are looking for patterns, we provide our own meaning. And that's what I love about us as humans. There's no meaning that's going to be handed down to us from outside. But what we do do is look for, well, if that is the case, what can I do while I'm here? What do I provide myself with the meaning for my own life? And I'll let you know when I've figured it out. Yeah. Um, but this is, for me, where kindness and generosity comes from. Don't be kind and generous because somehow you'll get approval from outside. Be kind and generous because that's something that you want to do. It's the world that you want to create. I suppose that's the larger thing is, if we are providing our own meaning, then we have to say, what world do we want to create and set about creating that world? Um, so, you know, and it's very interesting. I have um, a young a neurodivergent friend, and I remember mm-hmm. when he was much younger, 
he couldn't figure out sharing because, and I thought, well, actually, he's absolutely right because, in fact, as a young creature, sharing is antithetical to your continued survival. Mm -hmm. So if there are three of you, you shouldn't be sharing. You should be getting all the resources for yourself because you're, then your genes will be the ones that continue. But in the societies we've constructed, it, yeah. sharing's a really good idea. And I said to him, well, if you share, maybe they'll share with you. Aha, the light bulb went off, both in him and myself. Yeah. Because we rely on each other. So you could say that as a very selfish thing. I will share. I will give you half my piece of cake, Matt, and then you will pour half your coffee into my cup and now we're both happy. Mm -hmm. I, yes, I'm getting something from that, but we're also creating community between us by doing that. And it's interesting that I say food because, you know, sharing food is such a, such a, a basic and, and, and vital thing that we do yeah. because we do rely on each other. No person is an island, uh, although we might feel like islands. So I think that if we are thinking about what is the meaning of our lives or not what is the meaning, but what meaning can we bring to our lives, then we are thinking in terms of uh, how we create a world that we want to live in. And, you know, again, biologically, we are small group primates. So we find a small group that we can be interdependent upon. So we are both ensuring our own survival, but we are mutually ensuring each other's survival. and. One of the interesting things about the modern world, the 21st century, if that's what we're up to, is we're small group primates, but we live in a very large group, not just in big cities. I'm an urban girl. I love the city. I never want to move to the country. I don't want to have a tree change or a sea change or a wee change. Mm. I will live in an apartment for the rest of my life because I absolutely love it and I, and I am vital, revitalized by cities and I love them. So not only do we physically live with a large number of people, but we're also in contact with a large number of people, both people that we actually know, like the RHAP universe. Mm -hmm. We know each other. But also I listen to podcasts. I know, the, like outside the network, I know those people. They don't know me. They have no idea mm -hmm. who I am. So we have, we are small group primates, but we are compelling ourselves to live in a very large group. So even more so, I think we should think about how we want to conduct ourselves in the world that we want to live in. I'm curious to see how people make meaning of what you've shared or what you're sharing in this podcast. I'm curious, like very tangibly, how did you discover RHAP, first of all? Wow. And then, you know, what have your what's been your RHAP journey so far um, oh sure this is something yeah. i love i love talking about um yeah. so well not my journey but rhap i do i do yeah. love talking about it so some years ago like I, I never know when i became a patron and i look on patreon and it doesn't tell me so i'm not <laughs> sure if i how i find out uh some years ago uh how do i do the short version of this question so so when you're in a field, you know other people in the field. Mm -hmm. And I have a friend who's the best television writer in Australia, if not the world. She's incredible. And her husband is a, uh, a film and TV director. And they both separately happened to, to get jobs in Melbourne at a time when their three children were 15, uh, 17 and 19. Mm -hmm. So old enough to be left alone, but not for 
you know, a month, even though they were coming home on weekends. So the children were asked, you know, which adult they would tolerate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of dropping in once or twice a week and making them dinner and staying the night. And one was their aunt and the other was me. I was very, very flattered. Uh, so I would go and make them a meal. And not having children myself, I actually would do something like, oh, I'll make this huge pan of a pasta bake and then that'll be enough for dinner and lunch the next day. Uh, but no, because it's all gone. And is there more and what else can we have? So uh, I knew the uh, the older and the younger quite well. Mm-hmm. But the middle child was very quiet and very Typical of middle middle of three. He's not a typical boy, but that that kind of watching and waiting is very typical of middle of three. I like birth age, but birth order is very very interesting to me. I think it tells mm-hmm. you, it can tell you a lot about people where you come in the family. Um, and so, with the fifteen year old, we watch Dance Moms, and she's very lively, and we could mm-hmm. talk all of that sort of stuff. Um, and with the older, he was just about to to start film school. We could talk about all that. Uh, but with the middle, what was our connection? Well, those of you who who know teenage boys in particular uh, know that sitting side by side, facing forward, is the best way to have a conversation with them. So right. get them in the car, sit on a sofa, and don't compel them to engage with you, and you'll get. A long way. So we would sit side by side and watch uh, episodes of Survivor. Mm. I was a very, very casual fan, uh, and he was a fan. And so we were we were watching a current season, but then he would say, "Oh, should we watch some old seasons?" So we would, mm-hmm. and we could watch in silence, or we could talk about the show or we could talk to each other. And so you have this kind of bubble of safety and mm-hmm. um, they're all grown up now. They're all in their twenties and they're all wonderful, wonderful young people. I'm very, very lucky to know them. See, I didn't have to have children because my friends had children and, you know, I can borrow them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. You, you, you get all the benefits of having kids uh, oh, without yes. all of the costs of yes exactly i mean i knew just i I will continue with the rhap journey but i knew again another another memory from from the banks is you know being 11 or 12 and saying and people say oh when you get married and have children because that's the way people spoke to girls in those days uh and i would always say i'm never getting married i'm never having children and they would say yes Mm, that's a phase and you'll get over it um well i still same so maybe I will get over it at some point. Hey, who knows? They told you who you'll knows? get over it. They maybe told me I was going to get over it. Who knows? And the, the interesting thing is when I speak to um, people who can get pregnant who yeah. have chosen not to uh, mm-hmm. and it's never been a choice uh, other than to not, they knew, as I did, really early. It's like it's if you think about a maternal instinct being inside someone, this was the, the absolute knowledge that we didn't want to have children. And then there are other people who can get pregnant who thought, look, if it happens, it happens, and if it doesn't, I don't mind. Sure. Uh, and then and they're, they're happy either way. And then, uh, you know, there are other versions, people who really wanted children and had them 
uh, and people who really wanted children and, and didn't or couldn't or found a different way to have them. So there's a whole, there's a whole we, are, we are legion and there's a whole kind of bouquet of, of that relationship to, to children uh, with, with people who can get pregnant and with people who don't have uteruses as well. They have uh, an attitude about, about, uh, about whether to have children or not. So I always knew that I didn't want to have children. Tick, did that, achieved that. But, and I don't like children in general. People say, oh, I love children. And I, well, which children? Like, which children? They're all different mm-hmm. and they're all different people. Um, so uh, luckily my friends have managed to produce very nice people who, <laughs> who I like a lot uh, and, uh, right. you know, were themselves when they were young and are themselves now. And I just, I love this, this generation. I mean, I love, I love, I love young people and what they're doing. And this generation is very interesting. And when I say this generation, I mean the, the ones in their twenties. Uh, I think they've had real, I mean, everybody had the hard end of the stick with the, with the pandemic, but with the ones that are around that age are the ones that I know who maybe saved for a year to go overseas and then the pandemic came and they couldn't go. This is what Australian children do, teenagers do, mm-hmm. young 20s do. You save for a year, you work really, really hard, save for a year, and then you go overseas because it's a long way and it's very expensive. We did it in the 70s and 80s and they're doing it in the 2020s, except they didn't get to do it. And now here's the rub. They can't get on Social Security because they have this large amount of money in their bank account. And until they spend it, they can't get on Social Security. And, of course, there were no jobs. So they were very stuck. The ways that they have found to get around uh, the pandemic is extraordinary. Anyway, look, we've all, we've all been affected in one way or another. Now, where was I going with all of that? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> do you know where you were going with all yes, that? I do. Okay, tell uh, me. Just I'm just very grateful to my friends for for producing interesting uh, people for me to have relationships with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so sitting side by side uh, with this uh, young man and and watching Survivor, one day he said, "Oh, have you heard of the Know It Alls?" And I said, "Oh no, I haven't." And so he said that perhaps I might like to listen to the Know It Alls, and he was right. I did like to listen to the Know It Alls uh, because there was a season that was going on at the time, and. Uh, it was the one Aubrey didn't win, uh, whichever yeah. one that is. You see, I'm yeah. a bad, I'm a bad fan. I don't, I don't. Remember it's things. cool. Yeah, that, this uh, isn't the Survivor podcast. No, it's not for, a Survivor podcast for a reason. Uh, and so I listened to them, and I saw that there were other podcasts about Survivor. But I thought, oh, I don't want to listen to these other podcasts about Survivor. But then slowly I did, and then of course, once you have the feed, and once you see all the really interesting podcasts coming through. And then after listening for a few years, I thought, oh, I'm getting, and, and you know, I think about artists being paid because that's a, that's a big thing. Artists are the biggest uh, philanthropists towards the arts all over the world. We're the ones yeah. that, that, believe me, if you think that you're donating to the arts, you have no idea what we donate financially and mm-hmm. in every other way. Mm-hmm. So I'm very aware of uh, that art has a cost and art should also have a price. Um, a price in terms of your contribution to them making their art. So mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I need to be a patron. Like, I need to be a patron. And so I became a patron. Of course, once you become a patron, gosh, you get sucked in, you get drawn yeah. in, you get into this incredible community that, that we're part of. 
And then, uh, although it was two podcasters outside RHAP that made me think, made me want to be a podcaster and think that I could be, it was the opportunity provided by the RHAP class of 2020 and Rob expanding the roster, let's say, Mm -hmm. of who the voices were that opened that door for me. It's a big week when RHAP is on the road in Chicago. Check out my live show from Chicago. That's going to be up on Thursday, Wednesday night. Shannon Gus is going to be live with you with Kelly Wentworth after Survivor. And we preview the Dondi finale with Dealer No Deal Island host Joe Manganiello all right here on RHAP. We know reality TV. Well, I want to ask you, you know, this is... Uh, obviously, you are the co-host of Crime Scene with uh, the one and only Mari Forth. Uh, but I want to ask, uh, do you have any favorite crimes, any favorite types of crimes? I like heists. Mm, heists why? and cons. Heists and cons are my favorite. Mm. Well, <laughs> it, isn't, yeah. it, it could be said that I have not always not broken laws. Let's say it, you, it, that was the. Are you telling me that you were breaking crimes? Is that an admission of guilt? Maybe. I cannot confirm or deny. Um, allegedly, allegedly. I just, just, I just keep saying the, the word allegedly, and that will. Oh, okay. Well, can I can I just say that yes. if I did, uh, I have several advantages. One is I look like a like I look like a good girl. Uh, I can't help it. You know, I was a punk in the 70s. I dyed my hair black. I, you know, I've done everything I can. Uh, but I, I look, to look like a bat, like a bad, bad girl. <laughs> is that what dyeing your hair black does? Dyeing your hair black is a very bad idea when you're a redhead with pale skin and green eyes. Uh, people <laughs> scream when they realize it's you. Uh, I only did that once. I used to dye my hair a lot. But um, I look. <laughs> I look like I look yeah. law abiding. Put it this way: I look law abiding. So, number right. one, if you want to break laws, look law abiding. Mm-hmm. And there's a wonderful uh, quote: uh, "If you want to break the law, uh, be honest." It's a it's a great one. So so people just tend to believe me. People tell yeah. me things. So here's Uh-oh. the secret about me: people just tell me things. I don't even ask. People tell me all manner of things, often. Uh, preceded by, oh, look, you probably know this already, like I'm some sort of seer or psychic or something like that. Uh, And so people trust me for some reason. They shouldn't. Mm -hmm. They really shouldn't. Word to the wise, any of you, you really shouldn't trust me. But I look and sound trustworthy. You might start a heist here or there. I think I'm I'm a little terrified. I don't want you to give away how you would... Uh, how you would defraud? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it'd be fraud. Let's but, let's not name. <laughs> we don't we don't need to name the specific crime or how you yeah. would do it if it I, happens. I I am going to. There's a little some special extra bonus uh, content coming for for crime scene, and I was going to look up the statute of limitations on a certain uh, criminal activity because I thought I wonder if I can talk about it because I'm looking for a criminal. If look, if anyone's a criminal, if you've been. <laughs> Arrested, charged, been to jail, something like that. Can you DM me? Because I'd love to interview you. 
Um, you will probably get a few DMs. Here I'm, and there. I'm sure we have everybody, everybody even tuning it's, in. Even if it's thing. minor, because, you know, I'm very interested in, in how we interact with, um, with crime. Yeah, I mean, what I I actually am I'm curious about. I have all sorts of questions around this, but like I'm you're you're diving into this crime scene world and talking mm-hmm. about crimes. And one, I'm like, where does where does that come from? I could see it in Mari because when we talk about when Mari <laughs> and I talk about. Not that she's a criminal, disclaimer, uh, she's not, but as far as I know, um, I am not in on it. Don't question me if if there's any crime involved. Uh, shout out to Mari. But, you know, I will say, wrestling in itself is one huge crime, if you ask me. I think one day Ooh. they're going to walk out, like, a bunch of people, like, hundreds of people <laughs> of, a, of a wrestling and just shut it all down. So we're seeing a true crime in real time with that. Yes. Um, but, you know, what do you, I, I guess I want to ask like a, a joint question of, like, what do you love when it comes to, one, talking with Mari, but also talking with Mari about the crimes? Well, I love just talking with Mari anyway. She's so funny and smart and I just, she's, she's, she's the best of all people. I think she's wonderful. Uh, I like talking with her about crime because she comes from the science analytical side mm-hmm. and because we're, t- we're talking about not so much about crime, we're talking about the property. So we're talking about how crime is presented in true mm-hmm. crime, um, films and documentaries and docuseries and books and podcasts and various things. And so I'm coming at that from a performance art side and she's coming at it from an analytical side, but we meet in the procedural. We both like the procedural uh, side of it. And I think what's interesting is, I mean, it will be no surprise to anybody that we choose our guests very carefully. We have a wonderful roster of uh, guests who want to come on and we very much want to have them on. Uh, it's matching them with the, matching them to the crime, matching them to the true crime you know, property. You yourself right. were, were very carefully matched uh, to, to the, the one that you're going to talk about with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all come from different places and we all have different thoughts. and really in a way true crime documentaries are a vehicle on the podcast for us to talk about what we think about the world mm-hmm. and i think in general they're a way to there are two things about true crime one is for women in particular mm. vulnerable people right let's say let's expand that to to vulnerable communities right where you watch it and you go if i just don't do that 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 person who was the victim of that crime did, mm-hmm. then I will be safe mm-hmm. because the apprehension of the danger that we're in is either very pleasant, present, not pleasant, it's present, right. slightly present or in the back of our minds mm-hmm. at, at pretty much all times. And I think for people who move through the world without that apprehension of danger, it is very hard for them to understand how on an absolute day-to-day basis we check our surroundings, we, we watch where we are, we tell each other to text me when you get home, we check on each other, we look for, for escape routes, uh, either overtly or, or otherwise. So I yeah. think what true crime does, and in fact, here's a story. I was meeting some people 
a meeting up person, a friend at Town Hall Steps, which is where we all used to meet as teenagers Mm -hmm. in the centre of Sydney. There's the Town Hall and there are steps and that was the great place to meet. So we were going to meet at Town Hall Steps and I was sitting on a bench waiting for her with my earphones in and I was really aware of this big man near me. It was daytime. It was like the Sunday afternoon. So I, you know, and lots of people around. But nonetheless, I was very aware of his presence. I moved. He moved. I wasn't going to look at him. Uh, and I was already calculating. Okay, it's 3 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. I'm not super scared. I mean, I wasn't scared at all, but I was very aware of him and how he was impinging on my space, impinging on me. I was thinking he may not be aware of me because some people uh, are not aware of the space that they take up. Right. both in their physical body and the aura beyond their physical body. And will I move? I could stand. If I casually stand up from the bench and walk over to the steps as I casually wait for my friend. So I have this emotional and mental labor that I'm doing mm-hmm. simply because a person, a man, a big man, apparently is standing near me. Yeah. And that man could be completely innocent and unaware of me. Right. Um, and as it turned out, it was the husband of the person I was waiting for, and he thought it was funny that I didn't realize it was him. And there's no way that I can express to him. <laughs> what not a great sense through. of humor. <laughs> I, I, I sort of, oh, yeah, yes, I didn't, re- oh, I didn't realize it was you, ha, ha, ha. Because to explain to him what I'd just been through for three or four minutes, in the most mild way even, like I never thought for a moment that whoever this stranger was was actually a danger to me, although I have been punched in the face in the street by somebody who just came up and punched me uh, during the day. So we do know that that men, that was also a man, can just attack us out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, let alone other very dangerous situations I've been in, in much more sort of um, obvious dangers like night or drinking or drugs and various things like that. Sure. And I just was, I don't want to make too much of it, but also I don't want to not make too much of it. There's no way to express to this yeah. lovely man who I really like that you can't and shouldn't do that to people because <laughs> What yeah. we carry and how we live through the world has an apprehension of danger just built in, just because of who we are uh, and how the world is. So, true crime. Well, we watch yeah. it because we say, "How do we avoid being? How do we avoid this happening to us?" Yeah. So we're seeking to learn. Mm-hmm. There's also, in the best of true crime, and the one uh, the the. We we tend to like the things that we talk about, although we spectacularly, all three of us did not like something recently, but then it was an amusing way, an amusing thing to talk about and also like why. But well-made true crime is is a work of art and when you have a good director telling a story in a compelling fashion, it has the pull of a great play or a great film. Uh, and for me, that's the pull of true crime and probably less so the how do I avoid it. Some people find it very soothing because it's not Mm -hmm. them. Uh, And we have the satisfaction when the person gets caught or the outrage when they get caught but not punished or the frisson of fear when they are never caught 
that he's still out there to this day is the sort of delicious frisson that we have. That's why we like horror stories when we're children um, because of that fear, but it's a very safe fear because we're being told a story in a very safe uh, position. So that's why I like true crime Hmm. and that's why I like talking about anything but particularly true crime uh, with Murray. Yeah, and and it's... It's fascinating, even just looking at the story you share. I mean, there's so much that, well, that, make, that makes me think about a lot of things. Like, I, as a man, I would say I'm very aware of how I, I'll say, especially as a black man, because that's the, another di- big dimension of this. It's like if it's, if, you know, I'm walking down the street in general, you know, I'm aware that as a, and you know this because we met in person too, but six foot you know, something black man, you know, that could be perceived in a certain way by someone. And I do think that there are, you know, I think men could do a lot better um, because like, again, like this is one thing that I think is so interesting about the world. I've, I um, have a background that is, that includes like doing a lot of work in terms of consent and sexual assault and working with survivors a bit. And that made me very, especially aware of, of, um, you know, how uh, of masculinity also. And I also had, you know, um, did a bit of work when it came to like working with men, when it comes to what our masculinity means and what that is. And like, we could all really do better in terms of like understanding that it's not funny. Um, But also I think maybe to try to tie some pieces together, like one podcasting, God, no, I could do it. I could do it. I, can't, I, can't, I can't figure it out. But I was actually just going to say, just <laughs> yeah, please. I could just jump in. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm tall as well. So there's a thing about height. Yeah. I'm not as tall as you. I'm not quite six feet tall, but I am tall. I'm tall for a while. You are very tall. tall. Uh, for when I was a teenager, I was very tall, taller than everybody. But now, of course, not so much. And I think there's a way that certainly as a tall woman, mm-hmm. I have damped down my my energy or my enthusiasm or my um, thrust in the world, as it were, in a way that a shorter person doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be um, so aware because we're aware of looming uh, uh-huh. over people. That's one. Mm-hmm. Another one is if you are a man listening to this podcast and you have no intention to predate on women or anybody, other other people, people, right. we're not talking about you. But you can be aware of, I think it's the thing of the outrage that I see sort of online and speaking to men who say, I I was walking behind her and she turned around or she hurried or I didn't have any bad intention. And I say, yes, but we don't know that. So in the story of my friend, he knew he had no bad intention. But given my experience in the world, I have no reason to trust that this figure had no bad intention. So don't be outraged about being attacked as a man. You're not being attacked. What we're asking you to do is is understand our experience and yeah. how you unknowingly can contribute to our apprehension of danger or how you yeah. knowingly can contribute to our feeling of safety. For example, I yeah. have been walking in the street at night and there's the footsteps behind and I glance Mm -hmm. just to see who it is Uh, and it's a man and they will sort of move out of the same line as me and hurry past me. I think that's a deliberate act by that man 
to demonstrate to me that I'm yeah. not in danger. Yeah. So I I'll do that all the time. <laughs> that yeah. type of thing slash literally like, let me walk on that side of the street so that I don't also so I don't have the awkward moment of that person crossing the street because they feel threatened by me, which oh, obviously there are many levels to, to that. Yeah. Right? We've all crossed yeah. the street. I've, I've had a man yeah. come up and ask me for directions to a place that was in the direction I was walking and I gave him directions in the, in the completely wrong direction. And I could see in his face, he knew exactly where the place was. He just wanted to wow. walk with me. And now he's stuck because if he walks with me, I told him it was, the other. so um, yeah, I, I think, but, but it's not just a man walking behind a, a, a vulnerable person at night. It's also, I must receive the cries for, understanding of, you know, people of colour, of black people, of, um, you know, um, non-binary people, mm. because I know that I am doing things, whatever my intention, that impinge on their feeling of safety and security. So instead of saying, but I'm not racist, I have to say, what am I doing yeah. Where am where is my energy going and where is my lack of thoughtfulness going? Uh yeah. that I am mm -hmm. impinging and endangering, you know, other vulnerable people. So it's for all of us to it's not just it's not just white men, but well, it is also white men. <laughs> and I'll say, um I will say, like often it is white men, often it is men. And I think that people, I think men, especially, we often have a way of, in our society, making it about us. I think that it's like, why are you treating me in this way? Why are you looking at me in this way? I didn't do it. That wasn't my intention. And it's like, get over yourself is what mm -hmm. I would say. The lesson, because you said everything very, I think in a very fair and reasonable, I'd say, you know, get out of yourself and think how could you be better and show up for people more? And like, how could you listen to people's perspectives? Like, listen to more women to understand the lives that they're kind of, or try, understand more, you know, because like we could never fully understand the walk that someone else has, but understand more like what someone else is going through. Even listening to this conversation, someone will think, oh, I wasn't thinking about myself. I thought that was funny, that that silly thing I thought that I was doing that was a joke or that was harmless or whatever. It's like, we could all do better. And I love that people could listen to you and Mari and <laughs> learn about these things in, well, maybe in passing, depending on what you're talking about. Like some of these conversations come up, even when me and Mari are talking about wrestling, some of these conversations come up. And I think one of the great ways that people could just be more informed about how to be like better uh, neighbors or global citizens or community members or whatever you want to call it is by like listening to other people. And that's what this podcast and like yeah. podcasting and theater even could be about. It communicates yeah. a lot of these messages to people. Well, the interesting one of the, the great and deep pleasures that, that I have about crime scene, and this is not something that Mari and I ever discussed, Every episode, race comes up, and yeah. I'm delighted because yeah. we we currently can, oh everything is about race. Yes, you're right. You you mm -hmm. are right. Everything is about race. Mm -hmm. So even uh, when we were talking about um, the case in Denmark, we're talking about Scandinavian people, of which I yeah. am. It's my heritage. 
there's still race there because the tolling bell was. And it happened to her in Denmark. And look, she went to all these dangerous places. Yeah, dangerous places where dangerous brown people are, is what you're saying. Uh. And she, it had happened to her in safe, white Scandinavia. So I love that it comes up. I want it to come up because it, it informs, um, if I say everything, is that, is that overstating it? But no. I also, I mean, I want to hear it. And and as uh, and Murray, if you're listening, yeah, we never discussed yeah. it. But I want to say I'm very glad that it that that um, it does come up uh, from either of us, or indeed from our guests. Yeah, and you know, one thing I want to say before, as we kind of wrap up and get to get to that point in the show, one thing I I want to acknowledge, and maybe I'll I'll set you up for this. So, Sarah, when you're on podcasts. You, you know, you, you're introducing yourself, you talk about where you are, and you always acknowledge being on unceded um, Cattagall land, which I think is very, um, very interesting for a lot of reasons. One, on most podcasts, we don't hear land acknowledgments of the um, ancestral or indigenous uh, stolen lands necessarily, right? And I, I think that um, it, you know, I just kind of want to give you the space in talking. We're talking about people's experiences and a little bit about identity here, but um, in short, at least, um, like, why is that so? I'll say, uh, as someone who is coming to you from unceded Anacostan land here in Washington, D.C., um, and as someone who also, you know, first experienced the land acknowledgement the one time I visited Australia, Perth. Um, you know, I, I want to ask for you, why is that so important to acknowledge that every every time that you're, you know, you kind of show up on a podcast or wherever you show up? Because I'm guessing I'm sure you acknowledge where you are and where you're coming from in a multitude of venues. Yes. Yeah, so some of the venues, are uh, it's my my uh, email signature has I live and work mm. on unceded Gadigal land. It's interesting yeah. that you said Gadigal because you can say it either way. Mm. Um, these are the lands of the Gadigal people of the Aora Nation and sovereignty was never ceded. And I do acknowledge elders past, present and emerging. So you can do an acknowledgement in, in any way that you like. You're taking a moment to say we're on stolen land. Right. Uh, and the the feeling that I have is like we were talking about with men saying, but it wasn't me. It's a mm. lot of white Australians say, I didn't do it. And I think the fight at the moment or the, the discussion at the moment or the, I don't know, it's not a discussion. It's just like shut up and listen. Yeah. White Australian, well, we say white Australia has a black history. White Australians benefited from the invasion, from the stealing of the land, and continue mm-hmm. to benefit from the uh, from the downplaying, downholding yeah. of the uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are the original custodians of the land. Mm-hmm. They knew how to husband the land, as the as the saying goes. So how to how to I do control burning, how to live on the land. I mean, it's a right. it's a strange, stark land uh, full of possibilities. 
uh, to live if you know the if you know the land if you walk on the land, and many of the climate environmental uh, problems that we're having in Australia, uh, the Indigenous people know the answer. Let's yeah. go and ask them. Uh, when I first started doing, and it's called an acknowledgement of country here. Right. Uh, I did feel awkward and strange. Uh, some Aboriginal people don't want it. Some couldn't care less. Some like it. Mm. Uh, so, you know, if you want to know what Aboriginal people think, ask them. Right. Um What's very beautiful and moving is a welcome to country. A welcome to country is from someone whose country it is. So they will welcome you to the place that you're standing. That's very mm-hmm. moving. Uh, and, for example, that a lot of thought needs to be given. For example, if you're in a meeting and a, a, a meeting, a formal meeting of some kind, right. I've seen this happen where the person running the meeting turns to mm-hmm. the only Aboriginal person in the room and says, oh, perhaps you would like to do the acknowledgement of country. Right. And at one meeting I was in, the Aboriginal man said, it's not my country. I'll do it, but me mm-hmm. doing it is the same as you doing it. Right. It's like you have to understand, we don't understand, but mm-hmm. to um, apprehend what, what, what we've done and how much further we have to go. For example, how you can't hear the stark uh, news of when COVID first came and there were talks about, you know, dangers and then the vaccine first came and if you were over 60, you could get it or over 50 if you were Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. Mm. How you can hear those kind of things and not not understand that 10-year difference right. uh, in in health and health outcomes in the carceral system in I could go on and I am not qualified yeah. to talk about it so I can only talk about it from my point of view that for every person that says well haven't we finished saying sorry we white people haven't we finished saying sorry I would say well haven't we finished saying thank you to the Anzacs so we have mm. a big thing which is Anzac Day which is the Australian and New Zealand Army Corps and it's this reverence for men who went off and fought wars. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that lightly. I know it's very important to people. And every year we have an Anzac Day. It's a march. There's a dawn ceremony. Sure. Uh, it's, it's a very, very important moment. Well, we're still but thanking the Anzacs. That's like our Veterans Day, for example. Yeah, and they're, 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 there aren't many World War II veterans left. So mm-hmm. their children and their grandchildren march with the medals on the other side. And that's, right. that's great. We're still saying thank you. So why aren't we still saying sorry? Oh, that's so deep. And I think it's it's really powerful and important. And, I, you know, something that it makes me think of um, without going all the way into it is even just like how important it is to, I'll say, um, not only atone for that history, but recognize the impact that it has to this day. And you could definitely think of parallels here in the U.S., not only when it comes to Indigenous peoples and different communities here, but also when it comes to slavery and race and a lot of, actually a lot of different, and I I don't only mean like Black people in slavery, but also, you know, um, when we think of 
like Japanese internment camps and other things like this. And so it's important that we acknowledge it because it does affect how we interact with people to this day. I'll mention to you that um, that the one the one week I was in Perth, which by the way, Australia is a place that I hope I hope I'll visit you soon in in Sydney um, or at some point at least. But you know, even then, I remember going to the bar there after a long week at at work um, with with folks on this, uh, this great project in Perth, and the bar was empty at first. I was with a bunch of coworkers who were white. I was the only black coworker, and I could I, like. I was waiting at the bar and I'm waiting and waiting. And I'm like, I'm not getting served for some reason. I'm not getting served. And I could not get served for the life of me at this. And this is 2016 people like this is not that long ago. And so there's still a lot of reckoning and engaging with these topics and processing that needs to be done and understanding why it's important to, um, to like uh, take time to understand and, um, really like uh really process what is my in today like living in today's world what is my individual role in this bigger systemic problem and also how am i how are each of us um not only impacted by this history but how are each of us kind of um you know uh, playing a role in perpetuating it right and and i think that it's it's cool it's cool that you kind of you acknowledge um you you bring that acknowledgement of country into the podcast and hopefully it's made people think what is this what is going on with this and it's you know one one resource literally the least literally the least literally the least do. you could do and one yeah. thing that I, one resource i've heard people point to a lot um because it's becoming a lot more popular in spaces i'm in um especially working in like the climate world where I think people are very are um more and more are becoming aware of like what's the world around us who are the communities around us environmental justice and the like there's a website native-land.ca which is a great way of just looking up your location and seeing um and learning if you kind of click 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 like learning more about whose land it is and who is there and so i i want to just thank you for bringing that into our world and our universe in a way that it's not um, you know, currently present, obviously on podcasts. I don't find myself doing land acknowledgments, uh, honestly, ever on podcasts, but it is something that I'm glad that we could talk about and acknowledge. And I'm sure people are learning, learning from this conversation. I don't, I wish we could go on forever, Sarah. There is so much, there's so much more we could talk about. I have one more question, though, that I want to dive into with you. Um, and that's that's a callback to you mentioning uh, being a swimming coach. That was totally intentional, totally intentional pun. I, I'm totally. Um, but no, I want to <laughs> uh, I want to ask, um, you know, I, I like to ask folks, you know, about their life and about their story. And the question I'll ask you is that if your life were a book or documentary, what would the title be? I knew and there was why? some prep I should do. <laughs> I said to you before we started, it's really weird. I feel like I haven't done any prep and it was in the back of my mind and I completely forgot. Wow. Oh, no. <laughs> this is the worst. I think people, um, like, there's, there's uh, as you as you think about this for a second, I will mm-hmm. say, 
I swear I don't like to watch people squirm. Yes, I don't you do. like to, No, no, I'm I, uh, stalling. I'm stalling. It. And you know, Sarah, you have a title. You it's on I know it's on the tip of your tongue. That title if of your life book or documentary. You, now tell us, Sarah. What Let's is go. the title? Exclamation! <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget the exclamation mark. <laughs> Let's go, and why? Well, that's sort of. I I am still impetuous. I still uh, leap before I look. <laughs> I still am just want to dive, as it were, straight Ooh. into things, and I that can be. Not so good, but it can also be good. Like, stop planning to do it and just do it. Stop getting ready to do it and just do it. Let's go. Like, what? Yeah. One thing I will say is just just do it. The things that you, I mean, this is nothing that people haven't said before. The things you regret are the things you didn't do. I've done things that I regret, but there are, it's the undone things uh, and the unsaid things that I that I regret more. So, What's stopping you from doing this thing? So people say, I remember somebody once saying, oh, you know, I went to New York. I've been going to New I've been traveling to New York for um, 30 years. I love it. I have friends mm-hmm. there. It was fantastic to go <clears throat> in a different sort of capacity when we were all there together in yeah. May. Uh, and I remember coming back from there or about to go to there and somebody said oh, I wish I could go to New York it's like well go like don't wait for an invitation that could be the other title mm, other than let's go exclamation is don't wait for an invitation maybe that's the subtitle or the other way around don't wait for an invitation let's go uh, now we're getting to see now we are overthinking it don't wait for an invitation I'm not going to say that life is really short it is mm. but it's also really long and there are consequences but do the do do the thing, say the thing, write the thing, make the thing, move. One thing I will say from my great perch of wisdom at eighty-one years old <laughs> is, when we're younger, we feel like the decisions that we make are permanent. Some of them are, mm-hmm. but you can. Oh, I I want to move cities. Oh, shall I move cities? And you ask everybody, should you move cities? And this feeling is that when you move cities, that's the last city you're ever going to live in. That's not the case. That's just what you're doing for now. So if you think about, too, these decisions are not necessarily permanent. You can go and try it. Right. It's like the food. I, I try every food. I have very distinct likes and dislikes, mm-hmm. but I've tried everything at least once that I don't like because sometimes I come back to it and go, maybe I do like, no, I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the idea of trying things, the idea of get a little leap before you look in you, uh, if you're curious, follow, follow the path, have a plan, but be flexible about the plan. Um, that's what all that let's go, I think is about. Otherwise, who, who, who among us would do anything really? Because there is much to be scared of actually, emotionally. And in, 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 our, in, in our minds, there was a 
a famous self-help book when self-help books were sort of igniting in the 80s called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. I never mm. read the book, but I like that title. Right. Because it says, of course you're scared to do it. I'm scared to leave home. I'm scared to leave this relationship. I'm scared to start this relationship. I'm scared to let people know who I am. By the way, you don't have to let people know who you are. That is yours to to give or not to give. Mm-hmm. We're all scared. Uh, if you're not, you're a sociopath because you don't have that. You know, part of our fear is 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 mm-hmm. empathy for ourselves. Mm-hmm. I will be embarrassed if I, for example, I know you said to wrap up, but <laughs> the other day, so a, a person who's very important to me is David Bowie. Mm-hmm. He uh-huh. understood me personally, yeah. uh, right. all the songs that I heard in the late 60s and through the 70s that he sang, that he wrote, were incredible, right to my soul. And I was lucky enough to see him in concert three times, uh, the first time when I was 18. And I also like, you know, music has moved on. I, I, like, I like now music as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was in a, a small grocery store the other day and a, a young, what I assumed was a queer person behind the counter was there and I was there and a David Bowie song came on and I started grooving and I started sort of slightly singing it under my breath and we looked at each other and I said, oh, David Bowie is really important to me. And this person poured their soul out about wow. how much David Bowie meant to them. And they were young, like they were a teen person. Yeah. And we had this nice moment of connection. Uh, we saw each other, as it were. So if I had been scared to groove in a grocery store and sing a David Bowie song, wow. I, would never, I wouldn't have connected with this wonderful young person who I'll almost certainly never see again. Good luck to them. So, yeah, if you want to dance in a supermarket, I'll do it. I mean, that sounds so naff. And so white. But what I mean is it doesn't matter. One of the things that's great is it doesn't matter. You'll never see those people again. Oh, but what if I screamed with laughter in the middle of the street? It doesn't matter. You're never going to see any of those people again. Mm -hmm. And some of my worst regrets where I said or did something really terrible, I sometimes think to myself, it doesn't matter now. All those people are dead, Uh, which is true. They are. I'm the only one that why am I? Why am I carrying that? Why, why am I carrying that? So in a sort of less dramatic way, you're never going to see that person. Oh, I would have liked to have taken my clothes off and jumped in that fountain. Let's just do it. No, you're never going to see all those people again. You know, the police might have something to say about it. But well, they might hey, see you depending yeah. on the, you know, the security camera. Depending footage, on the circumstance. They might put you on a few flyers. But eh. other than that, you know, if it's. if it's Have, uh, have you seen this bum? Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's the note to, to end on. No, that's what, I mean, I guess you probably have if you were out by the fountain when they took their clothes off. Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for all of this. Thank you for being. What's our I, I, what's what's our relationship again? We are pod. Are we pods in law? In, pods in pods law. In thank law. you, yeah. thank you so much for being my pod in law and for being part of Pod Friends. 
Wow, 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 wow. Thank you so much for tuning into this conversation with Sarah. It went so many different places, and I'm thankful to just be able to sit back and learn from and listen to Sarah and connect with her and hear more, at least a little bit more about her path and her story. And also recognize that with all these Pod Friends interviews, there is so much more to dive into with the folks that you hear from and that I hear from in these conversations. And so again, you can subscribe to robhiswebsite.com slash podfriendsfeed. That's robhiswebsite.com slash podfriendsfeed for a number of exciting conversations coming this summer for Pod Friends. And uh, as always, follow me at Matt Scott GW on social media. Follow at Hey Pod Friends on social media. And just a quick, a few quick plugs. You could check me out on the Wrestling Rehap Up, another RHAP podcast. This one focused on pro wrestling with Mari Forth at robhiswebsite.com slash wrestling feed. You could check out The Pride Has Spoken, which was all about Survivor with Dr. Evie Jagoda from Survivor 41 and with fellow Class of 2020 podcaster Grace Leader. And you can check that out at robhiswebsite.com slash pride feed. And speaking of Survivor, I also just want to plug that I was part of a fantastic live reality game, Survivor Philadelphia. The theme, Head versus Heart. Hope you can check it out. Um, I know it'll be a lot of fun. Not entirely sure what to expect and honestly a little nervous watching it all unfold, seeing everyone's perspectives along the way. And uh, my my cast profile video was posted this week, so you can check that out at Survivor Philadelphia on social media, or you can go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Survivor H-V-H, bit.ly slash Survivor H-V-H, that's for head versus heart. So that's all I've got for now. But without further ado, I just want to thank you so much for being here on the journey. Encourage you to tune in next week. And as always, I want to thank you for being a pod friend. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.